The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Morning, Jerry. Morning, guys. What's happening? Well, it was a tough one. Actually, tough two last couple of games, obviously. And uh, it just... Did the blowouts, are those easier to take sometimes for you or harder than the, you know, close game or sloppy game? Like, which are the toughest ones for you? The sloppy game. Yeah. You know, the, the sloppy game is the toughest one to to absorb. And, you know, in the last two nights, atypical losses for us where our pitching really didn't give us the chance to go win the game. And, and that's been far more the exception than the rule. And they're going to happen, you know, and they're especially going to happen in Fenway Park against the offense we just played. And it's, uh, that was the unfortunate part. You know, the game we lost on Sunday was more the sloppy version. And that's, you know, that's a frustrating loss where the other two are just losses. And I think Luis Castillo hit it on the head where athletes are going to have those days. And it's a three and three on the road trip. And it's kind of defines our season. We have, we have found a way to take a step forward and a step back. Uh, almost every step of the way. And, and it's been that way for, for about five, six weeks now. I think you told us a couple of weeks ago, Jerry, that uh, you really try to use these first 50 games to assess. You, you have to do that, right? You break a baseball season in the thirds, and the next stage is to, to fix. And then the last stage, you really just got to let your team go. As you assess these 43 games at this point, how would you characterize them? Uh, I mean, I, it's going to sound absurd, way more good than bad. You know, we, we have perhaps the best pitching staff in Major League Baseball, bullpen, starting pitching. You know, it's uh, not getting wrapped up in the last 48 hours. We, we're still you know, a dominant team on the mound, and I, and I don't think that's uh, – you can't pretend that for 50 games. And uh, that's something that we've taken away. I think we've we've watched a couple of guys really get going here in the month of May. And, you know, quietly in the month of May, we're averaging almost five runs a game as an offense. And it's that if we do that, we're going to win a lot of games. And, you know, and and here just recently, just this last stretch that we're on. And I know it seems like that step forward, step back is a very frustrating thing to watch. We keep winning games at the pace we've played the last 16, you know, 16 games. That that results in about a 95-win season. And, as as irritating as it is to watch the win one, lose one, win two, lose two, you know, as long as you keep some separation like we have over the course of the last, we'll call it 12 series, we're in a pretty good place. So, uh, you know, we do have some individual positions that need to shore up and, and uh, we're planning on addressing those as best we can. But again, you're limited to what's you know available to you in the market, whether that's players from your own system, your own roster, returnees from injury or, or what you might be able to access outside the organization. Do you have a sense, you kind of mentioned the consistency there. Do you have a sense what's keeping this team from being more consistent? You know, it's certainly not the starting pitching. I mean, today, I think we have four of the top 28 pitchers in the, in the major leagues in terms of war value, and, which is remarkable when you think of how little time Bryce Miller's actually spent here. His best kind of impact he's had. You know, I don't think it's the bullpen. They've been terrific and as as good at securing leads and and giving us chances to win as anybody can be. I, I'd like to easily point to runners in scoring position issues, but you know, Gino and Ty France and J.P. Crawford, they've come through in those situations far more often than not. You know, it's 
unfortunate that every two or three days, the, the, the dial, the wheel is just landing on the guy who's not delivering. And that really amplifies the situation and makes for, you know, a, a two up, one down type of existence. How do you, you know, through your experience, Jerry, how do you create or Scott and his staff create some of that offensive consistency as marvelous as the pitching has been? And nobody can argue that. And the numbers are very, very clear when it comes to strikeouts and batting average. And you said some runners in scoring position with different individuals. How does that group offensively collectively become more consistent? I, no question. It's what we do. It's the it's the pitches we choose to swing at. It's staying in our zone. It's it's not leaving, you know, the the white part of the plate and chasing, you know, on the edges and off. And it's understanding your skill sets. Each guy's got a different way that they contribute. Some guys are their big value is getting on base. Some guys their big value is is driving in the runs. You know, and and there's everything that happens in between. But. You know, when we really start clicking, and, and I think we started to see it a little bit on this road trip, when we start clicking, it's usually when our walk rate starts to build and our homers start to fly. And, you know, we are a team that, that scores, and this has been the case for our team for a number of years now, we score when we homer. <laughs> and, you know, for the, for the first five weeks of the season, we just weren't homering like we usually do. I do think that that is a, a weather-related thing. As the weather warms, you know, the, the homers start to fly. You talked about Bryce Miller and what he's done in a short amount of time, and it's really just incredible. And he's going to have a tough test tomorrow, right, as he takes on a Braves lineup that's very good, and I'm curious to see how he does. But can't take anything away from what he's accomplished. It's just unbelievable. What did you make of his ability to adjust in his last start where he kind of went away from the fastball a little bit, started using more of his breaking stuff? Really impressive. And, and, you know, what you saw was, frankly, what he was doing in Arkansas in the early stages of the season and and trying to prepare himself with a full arsenal to go out and do what he just did, which was adjust to a lineup that appeared to be on his fastball in the early going. And, and that's something that, that Bryce hasn't or won't run into very often, I suspect. But when you do run into a team, that is on your fastball, you have to have an alternative measure. And and he showed that he's not a one-trick pony. He can go out there. He can pitch. He has, I thought, he threw some really good change-ups. Obviously leaned on his breaking ball quite a bit. And what that does is it frees up your fastball on a day where it might not be quite as special as it typically is. Or you just have a, a good fastball hitting team, like sometimes you're going to run into in our league. But I was very impressed. I think you told us this offseason, Bryce's fastball was the best in the entire minor league system. Not just yours, but maybe in all of minor league baseball. Where is that fastball when it comes to the league that he finds himself now in where he's doing historic stuff? Right at the top of the food chain. You know, I, I don't know that there's too many guys you can point to with a better fastball and a higher spin rate than, than Bryce is creating right now. It's, you know, top two or three, uh, and, and on a given day, it might be as good as any in the, in the business. So uh, the same traits that existed in the minor leagues and, and separated them from, you know, I truly – thousands of minor league players it's in the in the big leagues where now we're talking about you know several hundred it is a it's still a special fastball that that separates itself from the pack on the other side of it you're right obviously the 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 pitching has been incredible but you know now over five games uh luis castillo has not quite looked like himself or certainly not quite at that same level of dominance um five games without a quality start i don't know if that's a you know a true measure that you guys use i know it's not as exact as maybe the shove report but what do you think is going on with Luis Castillo? 
you know, his shove, score, his shove scores have been more middling, you know, for, by his standards. And I, I still, I look at the body of work. It, here we sit in the middle of May. He's got a three and a quarter ERA with 11 strikeouts per nine and 1.9 walks. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's pretty good over a nine start body of work. But, you know, as, as it goes, these last few starts have been generally a, a slump for Luis. It's the, the thing that, that has bitten him is the homer ball. You know, it's, uh, the Rock's not easy to hit. And, you know, I, I think the Red Sox did a phenomenal job of barreling him up, forcing him into the middle of the plate. And they didn't miss when they got him there. But, uh, you know, Luis typically doesn't allow the ball to leave the ballpark. And, you know, over these last three starts, that's what's grabbed him. And, you know, he is he's built on getting the ball on the ground, striking him out and, and getting his ground out. And, and right now that, that homer ball, and when you get a, give up multiple run homers, it, it tends to sting your earned run average uh, in a short sample. And I think that's what you're watching, and I don't think that's permanent. It's a, it's a middle-of-the-plate slump. And when he gets back to the edges, I think you'll see the same guy we saw for the rest of his time with the Mariners. So you're not worried? Not at all. His, his physical stuff is, is maybe better than it's ever been. I mean, he's the other night in Boston, it's 97, 98. And, you know, the ball's got all the life that you want to see. And it just, it kind of reinforces the idea that you have to pitch in good counts in this league. And, and in this league, middle, middle probably doesn't work very well. And, and he's a guy that will get away with mistakes, but it's like I said, the Red Sox didn't let him off the hook and, and he wasn't finding his way you know, to the to the thirds or the edges of the plate where Luis can pitch and have. Uh, Jerry, I do want to come back to some of the arms and maybe even an organizational philosophy when it comes to those arms. But circling back, lastly, last thing I bother you with the offense because Salk and I have spent a fair amount of time going back and forth on this and, and looking at the walk rate and looking at the average, looking what you know. I mean, it's the beauty and the curse of baseball, right? You can tear apart any of these different numbers. Do I kind of hear you say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that, you know what, you can live with the strikeouts as long as the walks and the homers are there? Yeah, I'd prefer not to, but yes, is the answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) Provided how many there are of the other two. And, you know, right now we are, we're striking out at an extreme rate. And and that has been the case really since the, the St. Louis series at home. And, you know, we've, we've done a little bit better job, you know, here in the last 10 days of, of reeling that in. That can't be such a, a pronounced part of our game is, is that kind of swing and miss. We've historically been a league average team in, in regard to, to whiff, strikeout rates, et cetera. And, and we're upper level to elite in swing decisions, walk rates, getting on base. And, and if you add that to power, it all works. We're not a team that's going to hit 270. You know, we've, we've hit an aggregate roughly 228 over the last three years. And we're not a team that's going to light you up with batting average, but we are a team that can score runs. And, and we just have to get back to the formula that, that allows us to do that. Uh, what have you made of Colton Wong's start, especially defensively? You know, a rough start. And it's not the defense. It's, it's the whole, it's, it's the body of work right now. It's just been a struggle for him. And, you know, what it is, I, I don't know. I, I wish there was an answer that, that I could provide or that we could provide. And, you know, obviously you saw last night that, that Cabby got a start against the right-hand pitcher. And, and you may see that more in the short term as we try to just give Colton a chance to reset and, and get his, his season started in the way he's accustomed to playing. You know, he's, he's been a really good player for the better part of a decade in this league. And, and I don't think that is 
done. I don't think that's over. Uh, clearly, he got off to a rough start, and he's having a tough time reeling it in. And maybe just a breather will we'll give him a chance to do just that. But it's it's been, you know, the, the whole of his game has been just off. And, and I think he's he's aware of that. And, and hopefully this is a chance to, to as I said, just reset and, and just start over. This game is so maddening in so many different ways when you try to predict and project. And I can't even imagine your job, your GM's job, your analytics guy's jobs. But I am curious. Colton is one that, you know, I think you've been on the record saying, yeah, you know, we've looked at him for a bunch of years, kind of like Luis Castillo, right? We learn of it at the very end when the transaction comes across. But at the bottom of that iceberg is a lot of work over a lot of years of looking at guys. Colton was one you wanted for, you know, for quite some time or at least had some interest in. Does it make it that much more maddening to see him struggle the way he is in this environment? Uh, you know, I, I really don't consider it for how it makes me feel. Uh, you know, I consider it for how it makes Colton feel, how his mm. teammates feel. Mm. You know, we want to put a good product on the field. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the productivity at the position, whether it's Cabby, whether it's eventually Dylan Moore, yeah, it's guys are going to struggle. And, and at the end of the day, it can't be, I can't take it personally when, when the guy that I wanted to bring here struggles. <laughs> it's a, we have to try to figure out how, how to solve it, how to get him back on track. Or is this just the new version of that player? And, and uh, you know, in this case, I just I don't see that. You know, he's, he's too young a player, and we've encountered this before. As it, Sometimes, as is the case with watching, you know, baseball as a, as a fan, you know, the, the emotion of the game, you want to go win 10 games in a day. You know, you don't understand why you can't rip off the, the 14 in a row of last summer. You know what? A lot of 10 and 6 runs go a long way in our league and the same thing is true of an individual player you know a lot of a lot of one for threes with a walk go a long way toward getting you back to where you want to be but you want to go 10 for 10 that day and and that's how these things typically build up and they do spill over to other you know areas of your game and your head is somewhere else you're not quite locked in and and I'm sure that all of those things in some way have contributed to to Colton's slow start but you know, he's also not the only one that's had a slow start. And and when you have multiples of them, it, it seems that your offense is not on track. But again, despite the fact that, that he's not producing on a on a level that he's, you know, typically provided, we are continuing to find ways to score runs over the course of this, you know, these last two, three weeks in a way that if, if we score five runs a game, we're going to be a good team when this is all said and done. Shifting from personal, and I appreciate that answer a whole bunch, shifting from the personal side of it just to the straight philosophical side, it feels, Jerry, as if your whole farm system is loaded with pitching, right? And, and obviously we've seen a few of them, and what Bryce has done, as we talked about earlier, has been historic. Is that a philosophical just you – know, and I remember a couple of years ago you drafted almost right nothing but pitchers. You know, is that was that almost a philosophical move that we are going to load this organization with the strength in pitching and we can find maybe some of the offensive positional players, not that there aren't Jared Kelnicks and Julio's and, and those young guys as well, but it's easier to load the system with front end arms. You know, it, it's, I don't want to say it's a hard and fast philosophy. You know, when we get into draft and we get into international you know, our, our intent is to sign the best players, you know, the best arms, the best athletes, the guys we think have the highest upsides, whose talents and, I guess, preferences, the way that 
player is wired fit our system. But uh, it's it's funny you say that. You know, it, it, sometimes what you you know the what you see last. You see Bryce Miller. You see Logan Gilbert. You see George Kirby. It's Brian Wu. It's Emerson Hancock. There are others. It's you know it's Matt Brash. It's Andres Munoz. We do have a host of exciting arms with really good stuff. Right now, we think the best part of our farm system is the offensive players that are starting to gather up in the A levels, <laughs> and you know, and and we're going to have this conversation in about a year. And the the I guess the narrative is probably going to be flipped. You know, our pitching there is a there is a gap in the wave of pitching that we think is forming, and there is a what we think is a tidal wave of young offensive talent that's that's right now playing in Modesto and Everett that we ultimately believe will will be that next wave to crash in Seattle. Well, speaking of, speaking of waves, uh, where are some of your Double A pitchers at? They're kind of fun to talk about between Brian Wu and Prelander Baroa. How, how close are these guys? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I think any of those guys and Pre has really, you know, taken to the bullpen. It's he's throwing 98 to 100 with a wicked slider. It's been a very seamless transition for him. He had another excellent outing last night uh, down in Wichita. It's he's he's the type of guy that you could envision throwing into a major league situation and and him just running with it. it and that could happen, you know, at any point really. He's he's doing the right things and. You need to make sure that he's resilient enough. He's bouncing back, which right now he is. You'd like to get him, you know, three outings in a week or back-to-back days to make sure he's prepared for that. So his timeline is maybe a little different than the others because we still have, you know, preparation to do and and making him, uh, I guess, in allowing him to, to do the things that he'll have to do in the big leagues. But, you know, with Wu, who threw again last night, he's, right now it's hard to imagine getting off to a better start than Brian Wu has gotten off to. And, you know, last night was another dominant outing for him in double A and, and Emerson is coming off of the best start of his, of his minor league career, you know, highest strikeout total in, in his young career. I believe he goes again tonight for the Travs. So, you know, again, the, the pitching that we thought was pooling up in double A, you know, has manifested, uh, you know, Miller's already in the big leagues. The others are off to terrific starts and they could pitch, for any other team in the big leagues almost immediately. <laughs> but right now, and when, when you have the kind of pitching we have, there's probably not a direct route for them to, to be in Seattle anytime in the, in the immediate future. How long did Edwin Diaz pitch out of the pen before he was ready to come up? Uh, I want to say it was two weeks. Uh, we, we laid out for Eddie when we made that transition, we laid out a, you know, a 10-day plan for how he was going to, you know, transition. And, you know, they were all planned outings. We knew what day he was going to pitch, how we were going to do it. And, and it couldn't have been too much more than two weeks. As I recall, I think it was, I think it was 10 outings. So let's call it three weeks. So very quick. I got to ask the obvious question. How similar could it be for somebody like Baroa? How similar is he to Diaz in general? How similar could the transition be? Uh, it's not too dissimilar in, in, in the way we've laid it out. We did plan, you know, the, the first 10 outings or so for, for Prelander in, in laying this out. But similar to what we did just a year ago with Bratch, you know, somewhere in between, you know, the rise of Eddie Diaz, because yeah, it's, it's easy to use the, the plan as a, as a comp. But the reality is Eddie showed up and within 
six weeks of his major league career starting, he was probably the best reliever in the league. <laughs> and you know, that's and that was back in 2016. You know, last year we were a little bit more methodical. And you know, Matt Brash was in Tacoma. It wasn't quite as easy as transitioning a player with that kind of stuff in Double A. So. You know, somewhere in between Edwin Diaz and Matt Brash, therein probably lies the, the timeline for Prelander Barroa if this all goes well. If 50 games is to assess and 50 is to fix, to fix obviously means the market's got to come around. Is the market burping at all? Is it percolating at all? Uh, like, you know, internally, it, it's percolating. We, we and I believe Dylan Moore is teed up to start a rehab assignment today. So, you know, that's a, that's a positive. Hopefully sometime in the next homestand, we get Demo back, and, and that'll be a help. We are starting to make some phone calls and just check in with other teams on what might be starting to size up in, in the trade market. But it's so early, and there's so many teams whose seasons, you know, as I said at the beginning of this, you know, lots of 10 and 6 adds up. And, and you know, we sit here a game under 500. It's, you could blink, and we could be in first place. That's, that's where we are in the season, and other teams realize that too. So, I don't think anybody's rushing to the trade button just yet, but you know, as as is our general, I guess, practice, we have checked in with others to make sure that we're there when they do. Hey, since you mentioned uh, Dylan Moore going out for his rehab, where where are we at with some of your other guys, specifically Andres Munoz? Yeah, Mooney's in his throwing program. Uh, my understanding is that that if his his throwing goes well over the next two days, he'll progress toward you know his mound work and then start building up his pitch count to get ready to go out on a rehab assignment. So we'll find out more in the next two days. It has gone very well for him since he had his PRP injection. And, you know, we've, we've taken very methodical steps to make sure that when Mooney does get back here, he's ready to do the things that Andres does. And, and And I think it makes it all the more remarkable that, you know, as each of these holes has sprung up in the season's first seven weeks, We've been able to fill it with guys like Topa and Spire and Wanten or Cabby or Bryce Miller. It's it's really a testament to our scouting and development people and and what they've been able to do and to those players for being mature enough to handle the challenge. And when we get Mooney back, we should be in even better shape because those guys have now proven to themselves and to us that they can handle the roles that they're that they're, I guess, taking right now. Well, Jerry, we certainly appreciate it here uh, on an off day, and uh, we'll see where things are at uh, a week from now after uh, what what promises to be an interesting end to this road trip in Atlanta and then back home next week. We'll talk to you next Thursday. Thank you so much. You got it, guys.